Father, we come before you knowing that your words are, as you would say, spiritually discerned, that the carnal man cannot accept them, but only by the power of your spirit can we receive and understand fully what is in your word. And we would ask, Lord, that you would enlighten us and teach us from this book, the only book that is divinely inspired on the face of this earth. And we know the evidence for that is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. And we ask that you would teach us of your truth so that we might be your disciples and do so in an effective manner, producing 30, 60, and 100 times what has been sown in us. And we ask, Lord, for your mercy for when we fail. And we thank you for your grace, for we deserve nothing, but you freely have shown your love for us in sending your Son. So help us to honor him this morning by going through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I was with you last time, it was three weeks ago, and it probably behooves us to just do a little bit of review. If actually you turn over to... 1 John chapter 1, and in verse 1 of chapter 1, does the same thing that the book of Genesis does, and he goes back from the beginning, which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands, have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. This life, or the life, appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And of course, This is referring to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In verse 6 it says, If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. And remember, one of the purposes of this little epistle of 1 John is to know that you have eternal life. And if you walk in the flesh or the way of the world, it says you don't have eternal life. And that's one of the things that's listed here in verse 6. And verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. And if we claim to be without sin, verse 8, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But thankfully, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. In chapter 2, verse 3, it says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. And of course, One of the basic things of being a believer is you memorize stuff. You memorize stuff like the Ten Commandments. And we should have those Ten Commandments under our belt. Remember, as it has always been said here and elsewhere, they're not the Ten Suggestions. They're the Ten Commandments. And that's what God would have us follow. Going on in chapter 2, verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. And so you can't carry around bitterness and hatred for somebody else when you recognize what Jesus has done in the forgiveness of our sins and think that you're saved. If you have been forgiven, you, you recognize the great debt that has been taken off your shoulders. And so we are required to remove that same burden, that same debt, that same bitterness that we have towards others. God took away his hostility towards us and the judgment that is to come because he looks at Christ in us. And with Christ in us, we look at others and we have mercy upon them and we get rid of all bitterness. In 1 John 2, verse 15, do not love the world or anything of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the things that the world has to offer, 
the palatial estates and all of that, you can have those. The Bible doesn't say you can't have them, but if you love them more than you love Christ or his coming, then you're not part of the kingdom. If you set up your life in such a way where you're more interested in other stuff and you can fill in the blank, whatever it might be, if you love that stuff more than you love learning about God and following him and serving him, then the truth is not in you. You're still in darkness. Now, we left off in verse 18 of 1 John chapter 2. It says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. And I focused on the Antichrist a little bit last time. But I want to back up. I want to digress just a little bit. This idea of the last hour, it is a a synonym for the last days. Even back then, it was 2,000 years ago, it was the last days. The last days are the church age. And there is a period of time where that is going to come to a close. Now, if you just go back through history, if you follow especially biblical history, we know that it began with Adam and Eve, and then it went to Noah, and then it went to... Abraham, and you had the patriarchs, and you had the nation of Israel. Then you had Moses, who got the Ten Commandments, and there was this covenant under the law that Moses provided. And from the covenant that was under the law, we went to the covenant of blood, or under the grace of God. That is the church age. And if you divide all these up, some people say that there's going to be seven total dispensations. And um, I was reading a little bit about church history on this. And in church history, it has always been believed that there are like a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as, a, as is a day to the Lord. And Psalms talks about that and Second Peter talks about that. In other words, there's timelessness, but there may be something else hidden in there. And some people like to say, well... Since Adam was created, there's only going to be 7,000 years. And I have some quotes in here I'll probably give to you a little bit later. But they said, as you see the culmination of certain things, remember the Olivet Discourse that I was talking to you guys about? The Olivet Discourse is where Jesus was on the Mount of Olives. And if you go to Jerusalem, opposite from the East Gate, there is this mountain. And it's called the Mount of Olives. It's actually a big hill. And there's a graveyard in front of that. And all the way to the east gate, there's a graveyard going all the way over there. But from the Mount of Olives, Jesus was teaching. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. And the Olivet Discourse is in Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, and Mark chapter 13. Because the disciples were interested in when the temple was going to be destroyed. And also what was going to be the sign of the end of the age and the sign of his second coming. One of the things that we hold to as a church here, is that Jesus Christ is returning just like he came the first time and he ascended from the Mount of Olives. He is also going to descend upon the Mount of Olives. Zechariah talks about that. It is a prophecy. And let me remind you about prophecy. The Bible is 25% prophetic, which means things are talked about in the Bible before they happen. And that means somebody with understanding wrote the Bible that knew the future. And many of the prophecies that are in here are detailed to specific dates and names. We're going through that right now in the home Bible study of Daniel chapter 9 of when the Messiah was going to come and when he was going to be cut off 
were destroyed. And there's that last week in Daniel. Now, if what I'm saying to you is all Greek, actually it's Hebrew, but if it's all Hebrew to you, you know, I would say come to the Bible study and find out what's going on. God wanted us to know what is going to take place in the future. Now, I'm going to be redundant here. The things that I've talked to you about before, whenever anybody has questions about anything, and anything of a profound or of profundity, that nature, like, where did I come from? Or why can't I do this? And why can't I do that? Or why did this happen? And where am I going to go when I die? Remember those four categories that all questions fall into? It's either origin. Somebody has a question about origin. Where did we come from? They make movies about that, right? Like the red planet. Did you guys ever see that? about Mars going to Mars and find out we're actually from aliens, something like that. They, they, people want to know the origin, where we came from. Morality, people want to know what is right and wrong. What can I do and not do? How do I judge if something is correct or incorrect? Then there's also meaning. That's the why. Why did this happen? Why is this taking place? You want to know the answers to that. And also destiny. So it's origin, morality, meaning, and destiny. All questions of importance fall into those four categories. And the Bible has an answer for every one of those categories. It tells us where we came from. It tells us what's right and wrong. It tells us the why, and it tells us what's going to happen in the future. And again, it's prophetic. Now, why should you believe it? Because every prophecy that has been written for the time it was written has come true, and the ones yet to be fulfilled, well, We'll just have to wait and see. If the track record is 100%, what do you think about the ones that are coming in the future? It's going to be 100%. So he talks about the last days here or the last hour. We are living in the last hour. Now, what are the signs that we are in the last hour? There's going to be the advent of the Antichrist, not a Antichrist or many Antichrists, but the Antichrist. That is the definite article, the And so there is a person that is the Antichrist, the Antichrist. And then there is this spirit of Antichrist, a bunch of minions that are still doing the same thing. That's what's being referred to in this particular passage. So he says the Antichrist is coming and many Antichrists have already come. And that's how we know that we're living in the last days. Now, there are false teachers out there in false religions. How do you know if something is false? How do you know if something is true? Again, the Bible has the answers to this. And by the way, the Bible claims exclusivity. It says this is the only thing that you're supposed to hold to as far as truth is concerned. The objection might come up, well, what about the other works of antiquity, the religious works that are out there? What about works of other religions? The Bible, first of all, declares that Jesus is the only way. He is the door. Jesus said that himself. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So if somebody else comes along after his words and says, hey, you can get to heaven by this way, he says, no, ixnay that idea, that is not true. And he even goes on to say in 1 Corinthians, do not be deceived because it's easy to be deceived in thinking that there are other ways to heaven. Normally, if you ask somebody the question, do you think you're going to heaven when you die? And they might say yes or no. And that's usually predicated, the yes is predicated on one of two answers. For instance, if the question was put to you, do you believe that you're going to heaven if you died today? That's great. 
That's a wonderful answer. But there's some people that believe yes, and it's not true. How do you know if it's true or not? How do you know if you have chosen the correct way? Well, you need to believe in Jesus and who he said he was, not who other people said he was. Remember the, it's called YP now. You know what that stands for? Yellow pages. Remember the yellow pages? The rotary phone. Remember that? You used to dial. Uh, yeah, you had the yellow pages and it had all kinds of information in there and you could look it up and that would be the mode in which we would get in touch with somebody. Well, how do you get in touch with Jesus Christ, the real one? You know, and, and the yellow pages, there's also the white pages. How many names or the name, how many times will you say the name Jesus? Each one of those is Jesus in English. There are many Jesuses. There are many false Christs. There are many imposters which are out there. How do you know that Jesus was exclusive? Because he's the only one that rose from the dead. Remember, the tomb is empty. We just celebrated Easter a few months ago. That's how we know. If somebody says, I'm going to die and resurrect so that you may believe that you have eternal life. And this first John, it tells us all these things that would be signs that we have eternal life. How do you know that you have chosen correctly and not deceived yourself? People answer in one of two ways. They say, the only way I can get to heaven is by believing in Jesus Christ and his provision for me. The other way people answer is, I've been a good person. And whenever you say, I've been a good person, that disqualifies you from heaven. You're not able to go in that fashion. You have to ask Jesus to save you. There's no good work, no good deed, no money you can give, no, no foundation that you can sep- operate in for the sake of Christ to entitle you to go to heaven. It's not by our good works that we are saved. So it comes to the last days. We know that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way, and he, he encourages us to read his word and not to add anything to it. If you get to some religious work and that religious work says, well, this is an addition to the Bible. You can believe this too. There are four warnings in scripture, four different places. Do not add to my words. He says this in Proverbs chapter 30, verse six, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 11, Deuteronomy chapter four, verses one and two, and Revelation chapter 22, verse 18. So the Bible declares it is exclusive that nothing should be added to it whatsoever and anything in addition to that is sin and so when it comes for things that god wants us to know concerning salvation he has made it plain to us but concerning the last days there are four things that i pointed out last time i was with you that god does not want us to be ignorant of First of all, he does not want us to be ignorant about God's plan for Israel. He declares this in Scripture in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. So we're to keep our eyes on the nation of Israel, what's taking place over there. And I know there are just elections over there, and he has Netanyahu now has a 61-seat majority, which is the bare minimum that you need. And we know that Russia is bearing down, and Iran is building up over there. All these things are taking place, but God doesn't want us to be ignorant about Israel. So we're supposed to pay attention to Israel. Also, we're not supposed to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. All of you who are in here who are believers should know what your spiritual gift is. You should have a clear understanding if it's helps like Yolanda. We know who these people are. Uh, Tom, I know, is teaching as well. Uh, Les is teaching. Eric is teaching. 
we know who has these particular gifts. Sandy Capaletti, if she's in here, she's teaching as well. And so these gifts are used for the edification of the body, and he doesn't want us to be ignorant about them. Now, we're also not supposed to be ignorant about suffering and trials in the Christian life. If somebody tells you that when you get saved, everything's going to be wonderful, well, eventually it will be. But there may be this lull, this time of persecution, this time where you have to give up even your life. You may be brutally attacked. You know, when I was away, I read this book. And this book was quite amazing. It is what every American needs to know about the Koran, a history of Islam and the United States. And so I took this on the plane flight, and I read all the way through it. And I, it was just amazing to me. There is a lot of information. You know, I'm going to share some of it with you here as far as persecution. And when it comes to Islam and the Muslim religion, ever since the 7th century, there has not been a century that has passed that the Muslims want to destroy Christians. Not just the Jews, but the Christians. You know, you've heard about the Crusades. Well, the Muslims aren't too agreeable with the Crusades. There were nine total Crusades, the big ones. There was a lot of smaller ones, but there were nine total Crusades which were out there. And by the way, you know, um, Prince John uh, and Robin Hood. And who was the king? What was the name of the king that was away at the battle? Remember Robin Hood? King Richard, that's right, it was King Richard. You know, that's taken from actual history. That was the third crusade. King Richard went away to fight the crusade and Prince John was left in charge and he was a ruthless leader. And so all of that history that you're looking at are all the, you know, the cartoons that you see and the movies that are made, if it's Kevin Costner and, you know, Robin Hood, that's taken from actual history. Do you know that Dracula... Dracula, that's the Romanian name for dragon. And there was this guy who was a sultan. His nickname was Dragon. And there was this king in Hungary that set up a bunch of hordes to go after this sultan who was called Dragon. But in Romanian, it's called Dracula. And this order of Dracula was there. It's actually from history. And this idea of dragons and Dracula and all that, it is a perverse way to get back to what actual history was. I'm going to give you one. What do they call Marines? They are Marines. Hoorah. But what else do they call them? Leathernecks. Do you guys know where that came from? That's exactly correct. And it was the battle in 1683 that... No, it wasn't 1683. It was Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson became president in 1801, and he was going against the Barbary pirates. And because he had to do this, and I'm going to get into treaties in a minute, because he had to do this, send these guys over there, these guys knew, uh, and Surah is a name of a chapter in the Quran. It's listed in the Quran. For the infidels, you're supposed to separate their head from their body. And they had this... Uh, and I forget the name of the sword, but it was a bent sword. And that bent sword is what the Marines have. 
as one of their things that they carry in their military dress. They pull out this sword. Well, the reason that they put that leather neck on when they went to the Barbary Coast to fight the pirates who were all Muslim, they put that on there to keep their heads from being cut off. That's why they're called leather necks. And also over in Libya, from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, remember that? Tripoli is where the Marines went to stop the Muslim invaders. This history is replete. All these things that you thought you knew. For instance, a cappuccino. Yeah, I like cappuccino. It's because the Muslim invaders in Vienna in 1683 left behind a bag of coffee beans. And one of the Turkish invaders who was Muslim taught them how to cook the, or how to roast the coffee beans and to make coffee. But they found it to be a little bit bitter. And so there was one Franciscan friar. Um, I forget his name, but it sounds like cappuccino. He was the one that mixed honey and milk with it. And that's where we get cappuccino from. Yeah, I, I go, you got to be kidding. That's not all. In this same, it was either this one in 1683 in Vienna or 1686 in Budapest. There was a baker who was working late at night. His shop was right next to the walls of the city. And late at night, he heard something underneath the ground. They couldn't figure out what it was. And they discovered it was the Turks, the Muslim invaders, trying to get into the city at night, tunneling in, and they wanted to destroy everybody. And so the baker alerted the military that was there and they were able to subdue and make these guys flee. And so when it came to a reward for this particular baker, this baker declined all reward, but he wanted the exclusive right to bake something that would be commemorative and it would be the only, he would be the only baker that could bake it in the city. And it was a croissant because it's bent like the moon. That's why you have the croissant today. And so when you think of the Pillsbury Doughboy, that comes from the Muslim invaders. There's all kinds of things like this where our history has been influenced. And these guys have always been ruthless and barbaric and cruel. This is something to try to counter this what uh, one guy did, and you would recognize all the names from history. I probably should go back and cover some of this with you. But this, this idea that uh, they were so brutal, what our side, quote-unquote, the, the side that stood for the Christians, because it was the Christians against the Muslims, and it always has been. And they're coming for us again. If they can, they will come here again. That's why we have to take the battle to them. But what they would do is they would impale, they would slice off heads, they would slice off arms and hands and legs. They would do all kinds of brutal acts. When they'd go into a city, they would kill most of the men or sodomize them. They would take the women and rape them and make them slaves they would take the young boys and they would conduct pederastic practices. That's the same thing as raping is what they would do. That is their practice. And it is still going on today. But you are not told that, that that is taking place. Even when they go to heaven, they believe they're not only going to get the 70 virgins, but they're going to get a few virgin boys as well. That's what they believe and if you go into the history of what has taken place, and by the way, I could name for you all the presidents that have commented 
on the Muslims, let me uh, just name a few. George Washington, Chester Arthur, Grover Cleveland, William McKinney, Woodrow Wilson, Warren G. Harding, and Theodore Roosevelt. And there are a few others. John Quincy Adams said, While the merciless and dissolute dogmas of the false prophets shall furnish motives to human action, there can never be peace on earth and goodwill towards men. What he's saying is, as long as there is the Muslim religion, there will never be peace. They also, and these presidents were in agreement, they said, you can never trust the Muslims to make a treaty. They said, what they will do is they will placate. They will be agreeable to you. And they gave several examples of this happening throughout history where treaties were made and they only did it to bide time until they could build up their arsenals and then attack. Are we making a treaty today or trying to? We are. And that's with the Shiite Muslims over in Iran. They make up about 2% of the total Muslims as the Sunni side. And who are they after? They are after us, the Christians. We are called the great Satan. And God doesn't want you to be ignorant about that. That's why I stopped for this parenthetical thought to let you know there are people that desire to kill you because you are a Christian. And God says, do not be ignorant of this fact. Wherever you travel in the world, be aware. You could be the target. Now, finally with that, there is... This verse again, dear children, this, le- this is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. Well, it's the last hour. God doesn't want us to be ignorant about the plan for Israel, spiritual gifts, suffering and trials, and also about the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I have explained this briefly. The historical facts taught by the church fathers in the last days, which include the rapture, the rapture is a time uh, in the flash and a twinkling of an eye. It means you will be here one minute and then you will be taken. This is First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, John chapter 14, and Isaiah chapter 26. All of these are listed in the Bible and it talks about the rapture, that all of us will be standing or sitting and all of a sudden in the next flash, in the twinkling of an eye, we will meet the Lord in the air. Now to me, that seems surreal. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, kind of beam me up, Scotty. But, you know, I've seen enough evidence with these fulfilled prophecies. If God says it in his word, and he says it a couple of times, I better start believing in it. So there's the rapture of the church. There's a tribulation. The tribulation is a seven-year period. And in the middle of that seven-year period, the three and a half years, and, of course, this is about the book of Daniel. talks about the abomination of desolation. In the middle of that seven-year period, we will know exactly who the Antichrist is. The Antichrist, the one who is Satan incarnate. After that, God will come back after Armageddon and he will have a millennial reign, 1,000 years. And after that 1,000 years, we know that Satan will be released for a short period of time. Then there's the general resurrection. That's the great white throne judgment where all books are opened and we get to have those people judged or God will judge those people. And all of those who do not believe in God are sent to the lake of fire, and all those who do go to heaven. Now, that is not including the church because the church is already raptured. This is a belief that has been held even by Justin Martyr and by Irenaeus of Lyons. They have quotes on this, and even Augustine believed that there was going to be this 7,000-year 
period before Christ comes back and he believed in the millennial reign of Christ. This is something that is not a Johnny-come-lately doctrine. This doctrine has been around since the inception of the church 2,000 years ago. Now, I'd like you to turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. There's a little bit more about this, about what's going to take place in the end times. And I certainly don't want you to be ignorant about this because God said we shouldn't. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we have some more information about the last days. It even uses that phrase. Dear friends, verse 1, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Can you think a time in history, in the Bible history, in the early days of Bible history, where there were scoffers? And what did they scoff at? In the, Noah. Noah, that's right. Now, how many people were saved in the boat? Eight in total, right? Not like the movie. There was a couple of women missing in that movie. But there were eight total that were saved on the boat. And he preached for over a hundred years that people would repent and get onto the boat. And they didn't. Now, if you don't believe that there was an actual flood, you know that they have found sedimentary rock, which is only created by water, on the highest peaks on every continent of the earth. And there are fossils that are marine in nature. On every peak, on every mountain range, you can find these things. So, well, that could only happen if everything was covered by water. Even through history, there have been stories of floods that have covered the entire earth. Some people have done that down to be only localized floods, but there are, will always be scoffers, and they will always say, there is no way. Where is the promise of his coming? This is not going to happen. And they follow their own evil desires. Verse 4 says, they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget, and see there's willful forethought here. They deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. God tells us how the earth is going to end. He talks about this in uh, Peter's little epistles. He talks about how the earth and the heavens and everything in them will be destroyed by fire. Now, at this particular point, if you haven't heard this message too much, you're going... Man, isn't this like gloom and doom, hellfire and brimstone? What are you, man, you're really scaring me here, all right? I don't want to hear that anymore. Would you just get on with something nice and just tell me how I need to live? Well, you just need to live in the knowledge of what's coming. That's it. Afterwards, whew, it's going to be a hootenanny. I mean, you, we are going to have a great time. 
You're going to get a new body. You're never going to be hungry. You're never going to die of thirst. There's going to be joy. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more suffering. Everybody is going to have a new building, which is the heavenly city, Jerusalem, to live in. At least those from the church age. We know that from Scripture. And the book of Revelation talks about that. And the things that God is going to show us will never end because he is infinite. And a new heaven and a new earth and there's going to be no more sun. This earth is going to be a fantastic place to live. We're not going to live on this one. That's why, as one man told me once, rust, dust, and bust, crack, chip, and peel. We cannot take a single thing with us. But God will give us everything new. And we will be called the shining ones. You know, we will be like shining ones, reflecting God's glory in heaven. That's what we have to go to if we just accept it. And God comes to us and says, if you will only accept it. And you go, nah, Ah, a lot of people do. I don't want to. Ah, you're crazy. This is not going to happen. Look, if you just pay attention to prophecy of what have taken place in the past and what is going to happen in the future, the odds are 100%. Because all the prophecies in the past have come true. And there are still some left to come in the future. So again, I'm being redundant here. What are we to think about those prophecies in the future? They're going to come to pass. Is the Antichrist a real guy? The Bible talks about him as being a real guy. Well, let's go on. But they will deliberately, verse 5, forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water and these waters also... By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Now, this is where they get, there's going to be seven different ages. If you take the week, you know, and you divide that up, these dispensations... It seems like, well, if you've started calculating it, we are at or near or in the seventh day, so to speak. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, he's forestalling this judgment because he wants people to be saved. He wants people to go to heaven and be with him. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And here's an entreaty. He's entreating everyone who reads this to have good behavior because we know what's coming. You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God, And speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And this idea of being at peace with him, you don't go to him and say, are we good? We're good, right? Nothing between us going on here? No, he says, you need to repent. Now, this idea of repent, sometimes the definition is elusive. What does it mean to repent? It means you were going this direction and you turn 180 degrees and go the other direction. This direction is self, the world, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, dissensions, factions, envy, and the like. That's a list from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We are to turn from that 
and go to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We can only get that by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God is a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he promised when he left, he would give to us inside the third person of the Trinity, which is the Holy Spirit, where we can discern right and wrong, where he brings to us understanding, where he guides us. And some people say, what do you mean? Does he actually speak to you? Do you hear him? Well, no, don't exactly hear him. But he promises that he will bring his comforter to us. That's what he offers us. The God of the universe will live in us. And just as Jesus is one with the Father, we will be one with Jesus Christ through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you get at peace with him? You ask him for that. You simply say, Jesus, I need that peace. Will you save me? Because we are all under judgment. Because we are all sinners. I've done that before where I've asked you if you've stolen or if you've lied. And everybody raises their hands. We all have. And so God says you're under judgment because of that. Because he requires perfection. So if you simply say, Jesus, forgive me for that. And please save me. He will. And that's all you have to do. Now, let's go on a little bit. I have a couple more minutes. So we had the advent of the Antichrist. Now, when is this Antichrist going to show up? And I gave you names of the Antichrist last week that are listed in Scripture. The prince who is to come, the willful king, the son of destruction, man of sin, the Antichrist, the beast. He is sinister. He is demon-inspired. He will kill the Jews and banish the name of God. He will set up his image in the temple that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And by the way, they're ready to do that. And he will declare himself to be God and be worshipped as such. He will be an intellectual genius, an oratorical genius, a political genius, a commercial genius, a military genius, a religious genius. Nobody will be able to go against him. And he will subdue not all but most of the earth. And then when Jesus Christ comes back, that's it. He is done. But that happens during the tribulation period. Now, You know what? I could go on with uh, Daniel chapter 27 and Daniel chapter 11 verse 36 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know what? I'm going to focus on that one in the last three minutes here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1. And it says, Concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that they of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he set himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. And so we know a couple of things. This guy is coming or he's already here. But before he arrives, there's going to be what is known as the apostasy. This particular verse, if you read it in the King James, it talks about apostasy. It talks about those who were, quote unquote, in the faith and then they walked away from the faith. There's going to be a great falling away. People who have been raised in the church are going to say, I no longer believe that stuff. I've moved on. I've become more enlightened, and I'm going to go my own way. Those people are destined for destruction. And the reason I talk like this is I, I want it to be lucid. I don't want to flower it over. 
I don't want you to walk away thinking, that was such a nice and flowery sermon. It was so good. You know, I'm, this is real stuff that's taken place. God says it's happening in the future. Now, we may not see the fruition of this. We may die in the meantime and then be resurrected at the rapture. That's the promise that we have in the verses I already gave you in 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians. But you can be sure it's coming. And as you see the rise of evil and the suppression of good, and even more so today, you know that the time is getting near. Is the earth a more stable place or more unstable place? Is evil rising or evil being suppressed? Is there more lying taking place in the media and the politician or is there less taking place? All of these things are on the rise. Is Russia gaining? By the way, that's another thing. Ezekiel chapter 38 talks about Russia and Iran getting together, making a military pact and coming down to the nation of Israel. Are Iran and Russia forming a military pact? Yes. Yes, they are. And is Putin on the move? Is he coming towards Russia? That's how we know these things are, wow, it's like, Knocking at the door, hello. And so we want to just be prepared. If it happens, and even to the point if we lose our lives in all of this, well, que sera, sera. We go to heaven. That's the way that it goes. So my final exhortation to you guys. If you haven't really sold out for Christ, because this is the destiny of all of us. We don't get out of this place alive unless we get raptured. My encouragement to you guys is, Be more committed than you ever have been to the cause of Christ, knowing his word, falling in line with what his will is for us because it's nothing but good. We think that if we have to follow Christ, he's going to make us go somewhere and do something we don't want to do. That's not how God works. If he wants you to do something you think you don't want to, he will change your heart. He has a way of doing that. His desires will become your desires and you won't be able to wait to accomplish his will. That's what's so great about our God. He loves us so much. He wanted to warn us what was taking place. He was coming along. He sent all of his prophets, which most people killed. The Jews killed all the time. Then he sent his son, and and we killed his son. The human race killed his son. And he's going, wake up. Come on, I'm going to give you the disciples. This is coming. Be prepared. So all he wants you to do, his will for you, and the work of God is this that you might believe in his son, Jesus Christ, to save you from your sins. And again, I'm going to repeat it. All you have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and save me. Let's pray. Father, I would ask that you would help everyone in here to fully comprehend what your word has said today. The things that lie ahead, the advent of the Antichrist, and next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about the many Antichrists who are coming. We ask that you would fill us full of wisdom. Help us to live a life that is pleasing to you. Help us to be sold out in such a way that we can lead others into your kingdom. We thank you for the chance to do your will, Lord, for we know you will reward us for being those faithful servants once we see you. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your care over us. In Jesus' name, and the church send. Amen.